0: The first thing I want to lay on the table here this morning is that you are worshiping at a Lutheran church, and we are a little bit weird, because now whether you consider yourself a Lutheran or not, you're here, so you're part of the the tribe this morning. And uh, one of the weird things is that all the other mainline denominations continue on with Easter themes on this Sunday. The Lutherans are the weird ones. Historically, that we've always recognized this as Good Shepherd Sunday. And, uh, and we take that really seriously around here. I mean, I've had actual sheep walk in here before on Good Shepherd Sunday. Have I not? Yeah. Yes. So, um, so today, we're going to be a little weird, and we're going to take a look at this Good Shepherd text. And uh, so in preparation for that, I think I'd like to have you turn to the person sitting next to you and say, You're weird. <laughs> now, the other thing that I discovered was um, on the news last night was that we, we got famous yesterday in the valley here. Did you know we were famous? What, we hit a record yesterday. Does anybody know what that record was? It was our first 100 triple-digit degree day. In Arizona, in Phoenix, in the Valley, we hit 100 degrees. So I was thinking, maybe this morning, in honor of Mother's Day, we should like think a little bit more like Christmas. Anybody want to think about some snow right now as we come into the heat? Well, I don't have any Christmas stories, but today I do have a Hanukkah story. You know, our Jewish brothers and sisters celebrate Hanukkah in December. Um, So how about if we talk about a Hanukkah story? You okay with that? Did you know Jesus celebrated Hanukkah? Matter of fact, he's at the temple at the Colonnade, or Solomon's Colonnade, and uh, he's in the temple, and this is where he gets, I would say, accosted by the crowds when they ask him, are you the one, are you going to tell us the... Tell us plainly, are you the Messiah? And so in the midst of the crowds, as Jesus is standing there amongst them, he has come to the temple to celebrate the feast of the dedication, which we know today of as Hanukkah. So the reason that he was celebrating the feast of the dedication was because it was on the calendar, and like when it's Christmas, where are you going to find yourself? In church, right? Because it's on the calendar. And on Easter, where did you find yourself? In church. And and so Jesus is no different. It's a holiday, so he's in the temple because it's the Feast of the Dedication. Well, A little history lesson about the Feast of the Dedication. In the year 322 B.C., the Greek Empire, which had ruled the world at this point in time, began to unravel. And as it unraveled, they tried to keep it together. Um, Alexander the Great, who had had, uh, ruled over the great Greek Empire, had died. And so that was in 322. So after that about a decade of some turmoil and until finally, what they ended up doing was they delegated different sections of the Greek empire to some of Alexander's favorite generals. And so, there was a general named Seleucus. Wanna say that with me? Seleucus, that's pretty good. Uh, Nicator, Seleucus Nicator, and he became the king Of the eastern province of the Greek Empire that included Afghanistan Iraq Iran Libya Syria Turkey Armenia Turkestan Uzbekistan and some other stands big empire but just a small part of the whole thing so he became head of that Empire and so the Empire went from being the Greek Empire to the Seleucid Empire now the Seleucid Empire is named after its first king Seleucid it continued on for several hundred years and it so happened that um, there was a, another king down the road named Antiochus the fourth he was the, the last king of Seleucid of the Seleucids when they held Jerusalem and uh, and Judah. And he's the last king that held those because he lost them. He did some things that got the ire up of some of the Jews in Jerusalem and in Judah. Like he told them that they needed to sacrifice every kind of animal, no more, you know, just the clean ones now they needed to sacrifice pigs and other unclean animals on the altar of god and he also made them sacrifice burn sacrifices to to some of his gods these idols that he worshipped and so the the temple became um, very perverted and unclean uh, because of all these orders that this king antiochus the fourth had given And then he also, now I wouldn't say this was necessarily a bad thing, but it was for the Jews. He told them that they could no longer do circumcisions. Like I said, I I don't know if that's a terribly bad thing, but yeah, it was for for the Jews. It's your identity. It's like saying to Christians, there's no baptism. And, And so he did some things that really got him ticked off. And so What we have is a a very powerful, um, zealous Jew named Judas Maccabee. He actually has a book in the Apocrypha written about him. And he rebelled, he revolted, and they attacked the Seleucids. And when they attacked the Seleucids, they took back Jerusalem and all of Judah. And so the very first thing that Judas of the Maccabees did was he cleansed the temple. They had to take it all apart. They had to clean it. They remodeled it. They redid parts of it. And then they rededicated it. And the day they rededicated it, it was called the Feast of Dedication, which we know of as Hanukkah. So now when you have your Jewish friends who who are celebrating Hanukkah or family members. Um, now you know what they're celebrating, right? So it is at this feast that the crowd asks Jesus to tell them more clearly, more plainly, are you the Messiah? They, they have asked Jesus before, and he says, well, just look at the signs that I'm doing. Look at the works that God is doing through me and in the lives of these people. In John chapter 5, he calls them to look at that because this question seems to be c- continual. Um, they keep asking Jesus, show us clearly that you're the Messiah. And he says in chapter 5, verse 36, but I have a greater witness than John, than John the Baptist. My teachings and my miracles are the greater witness. My signs are greater witnesses. And they're still not very sure about it. So in 721, he tells them again. I did one miracle on the Sabbath, and you're amazed. But you work on the Sabbath too when you obey Moses' law of circumcision. So he's telling them, doing signs even on the Sabbath, which they didn't like. And then in chapter 9, he tells them again when they want signs. It was not because of this man's sins or his parents' sins. Remember the story of the blind man? that gets healed, it's not because of his sins or the parents' sins, because they're trying to figure out who sinned to cause his blindness. Jesus answered, this happens so that the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks that are assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. So Jesus has been telling them all along, just look at my signs, look at my teachings, look at my miracles, look at the works that I'm doing. You still can't see God? You see a human? Really? I love the daily text this morning. I don't know if any of you follow that or not, but the Old Testament scripture is a verse from Isaiah 42, verse 16. I think it it ties right into our work today with this with this scripture from John. Isaiah says, "I will uh, the, the, the servant um, uh, the servant Israel, the Messiah. I will lead the blind down a new path. I will lead blind Israel down a new path, guiding them along an unfamiliar way." See, Jesus has come, and he's not doing the things that they are expecting him to do. He's not portraying the familiar Messiah, the ones that they had invented in their minds. He is presenting to them the Messiah as it comes from God, and it's unfamiliar. And then he says this, I will brighten the darkness before people and smooth out the road ahead of them. Yes, I will indeed do these things, and I will not forsake them. You see, humans forsake people, right? We do that. We disappoint people. Jesus, the Messiah, he doesn't do that. He fulfills his promises. So the more clearly Jesus tells them who he is, and they keep asking, the more hostile they become with him, the more violent. You didn't get the very last part of verse 30, but that is where they prepared after his answer in our reading for today they prepared to stone him to death that's not the first time so we got a troublemaker here right and so as we're following this troublemaker he is trying to explain to us that God's perspective is different from our perspective don't focus on just my words focus on what God is doing through the messiah And as they gathered for the rededication of the temple and all of its splendor, they have missed the point. They've come to dedicate their lives to a temple that has been built with hands. And Jesus is inviting them, offering them the opportunity to dedicate their lives to the temple that is not made with hands, to the spiritual temple that comes from God in Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus said to them, My sheep listen to my voice, and they follow me, for they know my voice. My sheep listen to my voice, and they follow me, for they know my voice. So this morning, our theme is, do you look like a sheep? Are you a sheep? Well, you came to worship this morning to listen to God's word, did you not? When you listen to God's word, you hear his voice, do you not? When you hear his voice, you hear his promises. And those promises do something within us, don't they? Don't they want us to to be better followers? To be better people of God that's what Jesus's words do and so you are sheep I hope you don't take that as a as a slam I mean that as a real positive you are sheep you are really sheep because you listen to God's word and you recognize his voice and you follow that voice so you look like a sheep, because that's what sheep do. And because we are sheep, Jesus has given you and me a gift. Anybody getting gifts today? Maybe a few people? Everybody gets a gift this morning, and it's from Jesus. Jesus. And your gift from Jesus is the gift of eternal life. That's for you. Some of you come here thinking that you're not worthy of God's love, that you're not worthy of God's grace. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? Do you see someone who is loved by God? Or do you see a face filled with imperfections? Maybe you see scars from wounds that have cut deep. Maybe you yelled at your kids coming to church, and you wonder, how could you be recognized as a mother or a father? Perhaps there is a past that haunts you, or you regret words that you have said. The power of these negative words and thoughts They scar us and they keep us from the truth and this is the truth you are sheep and Jesus loves you and Jesus has promised to protect you these negative words and thoughts can tell us that we're not worthy but Jesus in fact says you are you are worthy And the way that we know that is because Jesus, in his teaching here, tells us that God is more powerful than anyone. God is more powerful than any person. Anyone. You cannot get this gift on your own. It's a gift that comes through Jesus. No one will snatch you from the Father's hands because He has given you to Jesus, and Jesus is going to protect you. Patty and I have a flower pot in the front part of our house, the entryway. It's outside, and a few weeks ago, she asked me, did you notice that there's some eggs in the flower pot? Well, there's a quail that had laid about a dozen eggs in in the flower pot, and so this quail, I didn't realize was there, and I walked by kind of noisily one morning and kicked some rocks off to the side that were on the sidewalk. Apparently, I kicked them right towards the nest in the flower pot because all of a sudden this quail <laughs> comes flying up around me, chasing me away. And then uh, next day or two, Patty had had the girls, the gra- our granddaughters with us, and um, or maybe it was maybe, and um, and maybe walked by, and you know how children are, and all of a sudden the quail comes, <laughs> scaring, not just Bumpa but now Maybe, and and so one of the things that that I recognized was this is a really protective mother. You know she's watching over her little brood that has not been born yet, and. When I thought about that, I thought, you know, that's the kind of protection that God provides for you. You're like those little eggs in the flower pot. And if anyone tries to come and snatch you from them, that mother quail is not going to let them get near you. And God has that kind of hold on you as well. No one can snatch you from the Father's hands. No one. So we are sheep. But are we shepherds? Well, we're getting theological here, aren't we? (laughs) You know, historically, the church has called pastors and priests shepherds, which I kind of rebelled against because I I used to think, well, I'm more like the sheepdog than a shepherd. You know, I, I can bark and bite but <laughs> um, try to keep you all in line here but uh, the other stuff I don't know if I do as, as well but what, what I began to realize was that maybe we're I know this sounds strange but maybe we're part sheep and part shepherd what if you were a shepherd to some people you see, the, the concept of, uh, of the pastor being the shepherd was that the, sh- the pastor was, had the responsibility to care, to care for the, the flock. And so you're the flock of sheep. But, you know, as a Lutheran, I'd say, well, I'm, I'm a sheep too. I just get to wear a, or walk around with a shepherd's staff, but I'm still a sheep. But, but maybe from behind, you begin to look a little bit like the shepherd when people are following you. Let me try to share this in the context of a story. Alex has been introducing us to different musicians each week. This week we've been learning about Rich Mullins. Amazing guy. And uh, he died way too early. He died in a tragic car accident back in 1997 uh, at the age of 42. Uh, He grew up as a Quaker. um, And then he went to a Christian church. I mean, Quakers are Christians, but they're more... Uh, sit around quietly, meditate, and then talk about social justice issues, how we can become active in the world. So a lot of the activists come out of the Quaker movement. And so that, that was that was Rich Mullins. And um, so he grew up as a Quaker. He has this unique mix of evangelical Christianity with a strong social justice component. And an amazing songwriter um, had has made an imprint on so many musicians. And um, one of the interesting things about him was as he became more famous for his music, because he, he really, in the beginning, he, he, he had these great musical gifts, but he, he felt like, no, I should be a minister at the church. And so for the first few years of his, of his career, he, he worked at a church And then he did music kind of on the side. He said the focus shouldn't be the music. The focus should be the ministry. Well, eventually, he got convinced that he was gifted and that he should share his music. So this is what he did. He asked the church to take control of his finances and to pay him a laborer's wage. And then all the other money that he made off of his music, uh, the church donated to different charities. Now, I'm not saying we should pay musicians poorly. I wouldn't say that, Alex. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that maybe that's a word for all of us Christians to think about what's important in our lives. You see, um, after serving in an in evangelical, white, middle-class church, For a number of years he ended up moving to new mexico to teach to teach at a navajo native american school and so a lot of people asked him well did you do that so you could go and convert the heathen um, navajo into christians and this was his response he said "Um, after spending most of my life in the white middle class evangelical church and getting that view of god He said, I thought I needed to find Christ more among the pagan Navajo. (laughs) So this guy is really on the edge, isn't he? Are you getting a little uncomfortable? So, sadly, he died in 1997, that fall. In 1998, he was honored at the Devil Awards. And this is what his friend Amy Grant said about Rich Mullins. She described him as the uneasy conscience of Christian music. Maybe we all need to know his story so that that he becomes the uneasy conscience of Christians. Amen? Amen. You see, Rich Mullins was a sheep. He had flaws, he had imperfections, he blew up a marriage. I mean, he was not married. They, his fiance called the wedding off before they got married. He had an issue with alcohol. He wasn't perfect, but he was a sheep. And to a lot of people, he was a, not just a musician, but he was a shepherd. When they, a lot of musicians followed him because he had such an impact. And when they followed him, They weren't following a musician. They're following a shepherd. I mean, Amy Grant would not be able to say that if she was following a musician. She'd talk about how great his music was, right? That's not what she said. She said, He's the uneasy conscience of Christians. Now, if you asked him, he would have said, I'm just a flawed sheep. He had issues like everyone has issues. But he also had a faith that challenged him and challenged the world around him. So sometimes people get a glimpse of Jesus by looking at Christians like Rich Mullins. Sometimes people get a glimpse of Jesus by looking at you. Yes, you. Have you ever thought about others that might see Jesus through you, through your words, through your deeds, through your actions, through your lives? You know, when I was young, I wanted to change the world and the church. And the church seemed to be the the best vehicle since I was in ministry. And as I ventured into that world, what I learned was that it was really hard work to change anything in the world. And it was even harder to change anything in the church. And you you might have some impact. and You might change the church. But maybe for 50 years, maybe 100 years, But what, instead, if we focused on changing you, changing me? What if that was our focus? Rather than getting on the latest drive, what if we focused on who we are as sheep and began to work at developing an identity That could be lived out and exemplified by our words, by our actions, by our works, by our deeds. We're not doing this to save ourselves. We're already, we've already been given the gift of salvation, have we not? We are doing this in response to that gift. And so, my challenge for us on this Mother's Day is to not look out at the world to start off with, but rather to look in at ourselves. What can God do with me that will make me a flawed sheep look a little bit more like a shepherd to some who may be following me? And what may God Lead you to do so that some that are following you may see in you a shepherd. Hey, we're all flawed sheep. Can I get a bah about that? Yeah. But God can transform you and you can begin to look more and more like Jesus. Amen. Mm-hmm.